The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. Last Wednesday, as Joe Biden was being inaugurated as President of the United States, the leadership of the Catholic Church in America effectively fell apart. The new president is both Catholic and radically pro-abortion. The American bishops have been doing their best to deal with the diplomatic problems that this creates. Terrible problems in the light of the fact that Biden, who likes to present himself as a devout Catholic, is going to do everything in his power to facilitate late-term abortions and to strip away legal protections from Catholics or anyone else whose consciences won't allow them to participate in any aspect of the provision of abortion. How do the US bishops deal with a Catholic president who, so far as this crucial subject is concerned, is almost as anti-Catholic as the woman he chose to be his vice president, Kamala Harris, the most passionately and dogmatically pro-choice politician ever to hold high office in the United States. It felt the president of the U.S. Bishops' Conference, Archbishop Jose Gomez of Los Angeles, to draft a statement for Inauguration Day that welcomed the new president while acknowledging the unbridgeable gap between his views and the official teaching of the Catholic Church. Fortunately, Archbishop Gomez had the intellectual and diplomatic skills to make a good job of it. He's orthodox, but not partisan. As his name suggests, he's Hispanic, he was actually born in Mexico, and was never a fan of Donald Trump, whose immigration policies he deplored. Anyway, after talking to his fellow bishops, Gomez drafted a statement that was due to appear at 9 o'clock on the morning of the inauguration, January the 20th. But it didn't appear. Why? It was spiked by the Vatican's Secretariat of State, acting, it appears, in concert with a small group of cardinals and other bishops in the US conference, who are, to put it simply, Biden loyalists. It's not just that they prefer him to Trump, that's probably true of most US bishops, or that they agree with many of his social policies, again, true of many bishops, including Gomez. No, they're so committed to supporting the Biden administration that they didn't want any mention of difficult subjects such as Biden's radical pro-choice policies. But of course, they also didn't want people to know that Gomez's statement had been spiked until a later date, and they must have been absolutely furious when a new publication called The Pillar broke the whole story on Inauguration Day. So here's a little summary of what happened. A drama that, because it's been made public, has done terrible damage to the reputation of the Biden loyalist-in-chief, Cardinal Blaise Supich of Chicago. Let's start with that very tricky statement that Archbishop Gomez was drafting right up until the night before the inauguration, and which was supported by most of his fellow bishops. He began by saying that the bishops were Catholics first and foremost, and therefore not partisan in any political sense. In fact, within 24 hours it became clear that this didn't apply to the Cardinal Archbishop of Chicago, but we'll get to that later. Gomez then said... Working with President Biden will be unique, as he's our first president in 60 years to profess the Catholic faith. 
In a time of growing and aggressive secularism in American culture, when religious believers face many challenges, it will be refreshing to engage with a president who clearly understands, in a deep and personal way, the importance of religious faith and institutions. Mr. Biden's piety and personal story, his moving witness to how his faith has brought him solace in times of darkness and tragedy, his long-standing commitment to the gospel's priority for the poor, all of this I find hopeful and inspiring. End quote. So this is the point at which the Biden loyalists would have liked Gomez to shut up. But he didn't. He added, At the same time, as pastors, the nation's bishops are given the duty of proclaiming the gospel in all its truth and power, in season and out of season, even when that teaching is inconvenient or when the gospel's truths run contrary to the directions of the wider society and culture. So I must point out that our new president has pledged to pursue certain policies that would advance moral evils and threaten human life and dignity, most seriously in the areas of abortion, contraception, marriage and gender. Of deep concern is the liberty of the church and the freedom of believers to live according to their consciences. Now, it goes without saying that if you're not a Catholic and you don't subscribe to Catholic ideas on these subjects, then you won't agree with Gomez. And he did use strong words, but they were conventionally strong words. Biden doesn't agree with any of the Catholic Church's teachings on bioethics or sexuality, and indeed he's going to try and make sure that the federal government opposes their implementation or practice at every turn. So what do you expect Gomez to say? If the statement had appeared as scheduled, then the Biden administration wouldn't have been very pleased, but then it's not into pleasing the Catholic Church anyway. Why and how was the statement suppressed, albeit briefly? The pillar broke the story immediately, drawing on sources within the US Conference of Bishops and the Vatican's Secretariat of State. Here's what the report said, and one can only imagine, and actually it's quite fun to imagine, the fury with which it was greeted by the Vatican and the Biden bishops within the US Conference. It began, The US Bishops' Conference held back a statement on incoming President Joe Biden Wednesday morning, after officials from the Vatican Secretariat of State intervened before the statement could be released. The report then quoted from Archbishop Gomez's criticisms and went on to say the statement was not released Wednesday morning and bishops were informed by USCCB officials that it remained under embargo even after one media outlet reported it had been released. The statement had been debated hotly late into Tuesday evening, but multiple sources say it was the intervention of the Vatican that led to its delay. Sources close to the USCCB say that several American bishops had raised concerns about the statement's release, deeming it unduly critical of the incoming administration. Three sources close to the bishops' conference said that objections to the statement's release came from Cardinal Joseph Tobin of Newark, and Cardinal Blaise Supich of Chicago, among other unnamed bishops. Tobin of Newark and Supich of Chicago. Significant names in the circumstances because these were two appointments of Pope Francis that were clearly intended to shift the balance of power within the American church. Joe Tobin is an easygoing, likeable, user-friendly protégé of Theodore McCarrick. His appointment to McCarrick's old see of Newark, New Jersey, was fascinating because it came with a cardinal's hat, something that hadn't happened before. 
Several commentators suggested that this was an attempt by Pope Francis to park his tanks on the lawn of Cardinal Timothy Dolan in neighbouring New York. Dolan, too, is easygoing and likeable, but mildly conservative, and even mildly conservative is too much for Pope Francis. Tobin's appointment will have delighted then-Cardinal McCarrick, who exerted huge influence under the Bergoglio pontificate until the moment of his disgrace. McCarrick was also behind the rise to power of the Irish-American Kevin Farrell, his former flatmate, who's now the Vatican Cardinal in charge of the dicastery for family life and the laity. Neither Tobin nor Farrell have, shall we say, gone into any detail about what they knew about McCarrick's predatory homosexual activities. But then, neither has Pope Francis. It's worth noting, incidentally, that President Biden has some reason to feel grateful towards former Cardinal McCarrick, because it was the latter who, 15 years ago, persuaded the US bishops that pro-abortion Catholic politicians should be allowed to receive communion. Though, at the time, no Catholic politician was quite as pro-abortion as Joe Biden is now. He actually wants the right to abortion to be codified in federal law, and he's gone from acquiescing in the Roe versus Wade Supreme Court decision to heartily celebrating it. So it's no great surprise that Cardinal Tobin, a former member of McCarrick's inner circle, should voice his unhappiness at hurting Biden's feelings with Gomez's statement. At the same time, I think many American Catholics will have been disappointed that Tobin dissented from a carefully balanced statement that has enjoyed widespread support among other bishops. Tobin's a liberal, he wouldn't have been promoted by Francis if he wasn't, but he couldn't be described as a strident left-winger, and he's popular with many members of his flock. Blaise Supic, on the other hand, is a rather different animal. Very dogmatic, very ambitious, and apparently not trusted by certain mainstream Catholic bishops. When he put his name forward a few years ago to be chairman of the bishop's pro-life committee, he didn't get the votes. So, who is Blaise Supic? It's a Croatian name. He comes from Omaha, Nebraska. He went straight into seminary in Minnesota after high school, but it wasn't long before he was sent to the North American College in Rome. And no surprise, he's very bright. When he takes a liberal position, and they're always liberal positions, whether it's suppressing celebration of the Tridentine Rite, or dissuading his priests from demonstrating outside abortion clinics, or effectively campaigning for Barack Obama, the language he uses has a certain rhetorical elegance which is certainly unknown in the Catholic Church in England and Wales. He has a memorable turn of phrase. In 2013, for example, after 20 children were horribly murdered in an elementary school in Newtown, Connecticut, Supich said, The truth will win out, and we have to believe that a nation whose collective heart can break and grieve for babies slaughtered in Newtown has the capacity in God's grace to one day grieve for the babies killed in the womb. Now, that observation, made incidentally while Benedict XVI was still Pope, makes Supic sound like an unwavering supporter of the pro-life cause. But if you look at his comments on the subject as a whole, you'll find that no Catholic bishop is more unwilling to impugn the good faith of those who support abortion. And you'll understand why the respected Vatican commentator Father Raymond de Souza argued that Supich's insistence on always placing abortion in the context of other abuses of human rights serves to downplay the urgency of the abortion issue. A quick reminder for British listeners here that in the United States you can obtain abortions that would never be permitted in the United Kingdom. 
On issues of sexual morality, such as homosexuality and divorce, Cupich makes a distinction between the objective moral teaching of the Church and decisions that gay or divorced Catholics make in good conscience. It's not entirely clear what the distinction is, but, as I say, it's expressed in language of beguiling eloquence. Put it this way, if Pope Francis had the ability to think before he opened his mouth, then he'd probably sound a lot like Cupich. And Francis is, or at least was, very keen on soupage. And that means, given that Francis doesn't speak English and doesn't take much interest in the American church, that somebody must have recommended soupage to him. Recommended him pretty strongly, too, because soupage was parachuted in, that's the expression people always use, from the Diocese of Spokane in Washington to become Archbishop of the Mighty Diocese of Chicago. Indeed, Francis was so keen to see Supich in the job that, by all accounts, he didn't even go through the usual process of consulting the congregation for bishops. Now, it's been suggested in the last few days on Twitter that Supich must have been part of the McCarrick circle. But there's no evidence for that. Supich's personal style is very different from that of Uncle Ted's favourite bishops. You can't imagine him lip-syncing to Judy Garland or rushing to catch up with the Hollywood remake of The Boys in the Band. Supich's big supporter in the College of Cardinals wasn't McCarrick. It was Cardinal Oscar Rodriguez Maradiaga of Honduras. Try googling the name Maradiaga, and yes, I am aware that in the Spanish-speaking world he's known as Cardinal Rodriguez. You'll learn not only that Maradiaga is the cardinal closest to the Pope, but much else besides. For example, he's expressed controversial views, and it's a matter of public record, much discussed, about the role of the Jewish-controlled media in the way Catholic sex scandals were reported. And talking of scandals, you might want to find out the circumstances in which Maradiaga's auxiliary bishop had to resign his post and inform yourself about the allegations of financial wrongdoing against Maradiaga, which the Pope said he would investigate but never did. Add to this the information that Maradiaga has recently been confirmed by the Pope in his role as chairman of the Council of Cardinals charged with reforming the Vatican, and you may conclude that satire has died yet again. Anyway, back in 2014, the then Bishop Supich lavished praise on the already controversial Maradiaga for his opposition to the excesses of free market capitalism. And that, unsurprisingly, went down very well. To cut a long story short, Blaise Supich is regarded as the Pope's man in the US Conference of Bishops. And by Pope's man, I don't mean somebody with extreme personal reverence for the spirituality of the Holy Father. I don't think many people fit into that category. I mean, a man you shouldn't upset if you don't want to get into trouble with Francis. And that brings us back to the extraordinary events of last week. In a follow-up Pillar article, J.D. Flynn wrote, Numerous bishops have speculated to the Pillar that Supich's frustration was a critical factor in the Holy See's decision to intervene before Gomez's statement was released, with an attempt first to shelve it and then to delay it. Now, this was a truly fascinating article by Flynn formerly head of the Catholic News Agency and a canon lawyer, very widely respected in the Catholic world. The subject of the article was Cardinal Supich's very ill-advised decision to resort to Twitter later on the day of the inauguration, after the news of the suppressed Gomez statement had been broken by the pillar. Supich tweeted that Gomez's statement had been 
ill-considered, produced with insufficient consultation, and, he alleged, was evidence of internal institutional failures at the US Conference of Bishops. He also said he wanted to help in the process of healing in American public life. That's the sound of satire dying again. Here are some more quotes from J.D. Flynn's gripping article. It is unusual and a breach of customary Episcopal etiquette for a U.S. bishop to air a dispute with his brother bishops in public, and especially on Twitter. Since Wednesday, some commentators have suggested that Supich has fired the first shots of a coming intra-conference civil war. And Supich's pledge to clean up after institutional failures at the conference suggests that the Cardinal is looking for ways to exercise more personal influence at the USCCB, which means curtailing other influences. But, J.D. Flynn continues, what happened on Wednesday won't likely be the start of an all-out struggle for control of the Bishops' Conference. Why? Because Supich seems not to have the votes. To date, not one U.S. bishop has publicly supported Supich's shot at the Gomez Statement, or the process that produced it. Not one of the bishops generally thought to be aligned on matters of policy with Supich has commented on his statement, while numerous bishops have issued statements of support for Gomez. End quote. Now, that really wouldn't matter if Supich could do no wrong in the eyes of Pope Francis. But, in fact, being a favourite of the Pope is not a position for life, not under this pontificate. There's a saying in Rome, those who live by Bergoglio die by Bergoglio. Flynn continued, But if Supich is the cause of the Holy See's intervention, that is, an intervention to stop criticism of Joe Biden, his stock in Rome has likely declined after the embarrassment of public reporting about the intervention and then the statement's eventual release, if Supich was relying on favour in Rome to exercise influence in the US Bishops' Conference, as he's believed to have done in the wake of the McCarrick scandal, it seems that after this week he will have fewer chips to play at the time he needs them most. In particular, it's not clear that he can rely on the support of Cardinal Joseph Tobin of Newark, who was also mentioned as one of the bishops unhappy with the Gomez statement. End quote. Tobin seems to have panicked a bit on being named, and this led Ed Condon, co-founder of the Pillar and regular contributor to Holy Smoke, to write, Where Tobin's thoughts and ambitions really lie can appear something of a mystery to many. Is he a calculating and cautious radical who simply knows how far he can go in public, or is he a genuinely open mind of moderation, committed to defending the Church's teachings? That's nicely put, Ed, and you can see why there's nothing bishops fear more than journalists who are also canon lawyers. So, all in all, January the 20th wasn't a great day for the red-faced radicals caught trying to stitch up the president of their own bishops' conference. It must have rather spoiled what for them was the glorious spectacle of Joe Biden being inaugurated as president of the United States. But we need to ask the question... Why were two cardinals and unnamed bishops so keen to defend a president whose line on bioethics and sexuality is way to the left of that espoused by, say, the late Senator Ted Kennedy? Well, one answer is that those bishops were made cardinals by Pope Francis, whose appointments to the American hierarchy have been quite astonishingly political. Does this suggest that the Pope himself doesn't feel strongly about abortion? It's difficult to say. The Pope's views on this and other hot-button issues seem to depend on what side of bed he got out of in the morning. 
Francis isn't really doctrinally consistent, perhaps because doctrine doesn't really seem to interest him very much. You might describe him as the first post-magisterial pope. In theological matters, he's a real Peronist. In private meetings, he always tells people what they want to hear. On the political and economic subjects that really matter to him, however, he's unwaveringly left-wing, though his Peronism, or perhaps his intellectual laziness, means that he won't be tied down to any particular brand of left-wing politics. The official motto of this pontificate really ought to be Hostibus a sinistra non habemus, the old slogan most familiar in France, no enemies to the left. Black Lives Matter, President Castro of Cuba, George Soros, the Chinese Communist Party, there's room for all of them in the Begolian big tent. And the fact that all of these otherwise very different groups and people are solidly pro-choice, well, you can't pretend that Pope Francis agrees with them on this matter because he's never said anything in support of abortion. He occasionally condemns it in quite fierce language, but as one Vatican watcher put it to me, it's not really a subject that keeps him awake at nights. What did keep him awake at nights was the thought that Donald Trump might be re-elected. So you can understand why the Vatican Secretariat of State was so quick to try to silence Gomez, whose long record of opposing Trump didn't protect him from this particular humiliation. But then, sadly, Archbishop Gomez has had to live with humiliation for quite a long time. As Archbishop of Los Angeles, a diocese with 11.5 million people, he could normally expect to be a cardinal. He's a holy man who speaks powerfully in a way that genuinely isn't partisan. Alas, under this pontificate, not being partisan, a partisan liberal that is, means you won't become a prince of the church. And in the case of Archbishop Gomez, that means that incredibly the United States Catholic Church still hasn't had a single Hispanic cardinal. Francis's policy of no enemies to the left also means no friends not on the left, and Gomez, being non-partisan, is by definition not on the left or the right, and so he's out of favour. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if Joe Biden was much friendlier to his political opponents, at least in private, than Pope Francis is. But then, and I may be wrong about this, he strikes me as a much nicer person anyway. We do now, I think, need to address the question of why Biden has ended up where he is on the subject of abortion. Does his recent shift leftwards represent a change in his thinking, his personal convictions on the subject? I think the answer has to be no. Biden is as slippery an operator as anyone inside the Beltway, and confronted by demands from the Taliban wing of the Democrat Party that he sign up to the full pro-choice radical agenda, he said, fine. He knew that his claim to be a devout Catholic at the same time wasn't about to be challenged by his bishop, Cardinal Wilton Gregory of Washington, a classic McCarrick alumnus, whose main priority seems to have been to get rid of the most pro-life president in American history, Donald Trump. But is Joe Biden's support for abortion purely a matter of political calculation? I don't think it is. According to Pew Research, 48% of American Catholics think abortion should be legal in all or most cases, compared to 47% who think it should be illegal in all or most cases. Now, that's a survey of all Catholics, and most Catholics in America don't go to church, so perhaps it doesn't tell us very much. But Pew also gave us the figures for regular, that is, weekly, mass goers. And the figures are very different. 
26% of maskers think abortion should be legal in all or most cases. 53% of regular maskers think it should be illegal in all or most cases. Now, what I find extraordinary about those figures is not the gap between nominal and practising Catholics. It's the fact that more than a quarter of practising Catholics are firmly pro-choice. Moreover, 47% of practising Catholics declined to say that they thought abortion should be illegal in all or most cases. And note that most cases get out clause. It allows for legal abortion in certain circumstances. Oh, and by the way, here's a figure that caught my eye. Among Catholics firmly opposed to abortion, 42% are in favour of gay marriage. So, to sum up, Joe Biden is in a significant minority of pro-choice practising Catholics. But the term, or perhaps the euphemism, pro-choice doesn't begin to capture the intensity of Biden's commitment to abortion rights, as they're called. To repeat, his administration doesn't just plan to widen access to late-term abortions, it plans to clip the wings of the pro-life lobby and, perhaps more significantly, sweep away what are called the conscience rights of people opposed to abortion. A few weeks ago, we had as a guest on this podcast Andrea picciotti Bayer, head of the Conscience Project in Washington, D.C., who pointed out how fragile these conscience rights are and that there's an imminent threat to First Amendment rights of free speech and freedom of religion. This clearly is what was worrying Archbishop Gomez so much, the prospect of publicly funded employees losing their jobs if they didn't participate in or facilitate the termination of pregnancies. And who tried to stop him voicing his concerns on Inauguration Day? Not the Biden administration, but the Vatican, apparently alerted by the Biden loyalists in the Conference of Bishops. And if you're surprised by that, then I'm afraid you haven't been paying attention to what the Secretariat of State has been up to in recent years. The very late-term abortions, mostly illegal in Britain, that will increase in number under the Biden-Harris administration are, at least in theory, voluntary. The same can't be said of the forced abortions being performed on Uyghur women by the Chinese government in an attempt to ethnically cleanse this despised Muslim minority that truly is worthy of Nazi Germany. Until last week, the United States had a Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, who was profoundly scandalised by this and other assaults on human rights by China. When he was in Rome last year, Pompeo wanted to see Pope Francis to ask him why the Catholic Church was so disgracefully silent on this subject. Francis refused to see him. And, perhaps foolishly, the Vatican admitted that the reason the Pope wouldn't see the Secretary of State was that he didn't want to interfere in the American election. Or, let's be honest about this, to damage Joe Biden's chances of being elected. So, in conclusion, having looked at the demographic data, I've got some sympathy for anti-abortion Catholic liberals who say, look, the Catholic Church isn't changing anybody's mind. The pro-life movement must be getting something very badly wrong. But I would distinguish them from those liberals for whom theology is merely the continuation of politics by other means. This, unfortunately, is the shape of things to come. And into this category, I would place both the JBs, that is, Joe Biden and, I'm sorry to say, Jorge Bergoglio. <laughs>